Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day everyone and welcome to what is most likely going to be the final issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series for 2022. At this time of year, it's quite normal to have a look back at the year that was and also have a look at the year ahead for 2023. And that, of course, is what we're going to do in this podcast. Now, of course, the good news in 2022 is that it looks like we've finally seen the world shake off the grip of the coronavirus as it's transitioned from being a pandemic to being endemic. That was helped, of course, by the vaccines and the evolution of coronavirus into the less lethal Omicron variant. Now, of course, it's still causing problems in China, which we'll come on to, but in the great scheme of things, we have seen that transition. However, the past year turned out far more difficult for investors than might have been thought a year ago. Inflation surged. Of course, it was already on the way up in 2021, but it continued through 2022, reaching levels not seen in decades on the back of pandemic-driven distortions to supply, the reopening, the stimulus-driven surge in demand, and of course, in Australia, we saw floods. This, of course, was made worse by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which led to a surge in energy and food prices. As a result of all this, central banks raised interest rates aggressively. In fact, in many countries, including Australia, we saw the fastest pace of rate hikes in decades. As a result of all of this, bond yields surged. And in other factors, Chinese growth fell sharply, and that reflected its problems with covid primarily because it stuck to zero COVID policy, which meant that it had periodic lockdowns in big parts of China. That, of course, affecting growth earlier in the year and then, of course, later in the year. So it was also made worse in China by property downturn. We saw, as already mentioned, geopolitical tensions and worries about a Chinese invasion of Taiwan and, of course, ongoing issues with Iran. As a result of all of this, investors increasingly fretted about recession. Now, of course, it's often the case that what goes up the most comes down the most, and tech stocks and cryptocurrencies were very hard hit. They were the biggest winners of the COVID lockdowns and easy money. But of course, when that all reversed, they came down very sharply, particularly the cryptocurrencies, ultimately proving no hedge against inflation. Of course, in this environment, you'd expect that growth would take a bit of a hit. It certainly did, but we didn't go into recession. Growth did slow down, though. It was a lot weaker than expected. Global growth looks like it came in in 2022 at around 3.2%, which is well down from the 5% or so expected at the start of the year, and obviously well down from 6 percent growth back in 2021. By and large, that was still reasonable. And in Australia, GDP is expected to have been around 3.5%. Lower than expected a year ago, well down from nearly 5% in 2021, but again, still reasonable. Now, of course, that growth slowdown saw a slowdown in profits. But the main problem for investment markets was the rise in inflation, interest rates, and bond yields. And of course, this led to a very rough ride. In fact, global shares had a 23% plunge from their highs early in the year to their lows in October. And of course, course, um, the US share market had a 25% plunge, so it actually underperformed, which is contrary to what normally happens. The US share market can be a relatively more stable market. But of course, it was hit by tech stocks, richer valuations seen in other markets. Other markets that underperformed were the Chinese share market, not helped by zero COVID policy and a property downturn in China, followed by Asian shares. Outperforming markets included Europe 
and particularly Japan and also the UK, believe it or not. Australian shares also outperformed global markets, helped by strong commodity prices and a relatively less hawkish Reserve Bank of Australia. Bond yields, as you would expect in a high inflation environment, slumped, or rather bond prices slumped and yields rose. And of course, when bond yields rise, this is uh, fixed interest um, 101. Of course, when bond yields rise, that leads to a collapse in their value. And of course, that surge in yields was on the back of high inflation and rate hikes. In fact, Australian bonds had their worst returns since 1973 or maybe the 1930s. And of course, the problem is that the current bond indexes we have are somewhat different back in those years. That's why I say either 1973 or the 1930s. Now, this is very different to what you would normally expect. Normally, when shares take a tumble, it's in against the backdrop of recession fears and in that environment, bonds rally. But of course, in this environment, it was a common driver, higher inflation, and that, of course, pushed share markets and bond yields down at the same time. And of course, bonds didn't provide the diversifying role that they normally do in balanced portfolios. Now, hopefully that will be an aberration, but time will tell. Real estate investment trusts also had a rough ride. They're obviously very bond sensitive. And as bond yields rose, uh, that put downwards pressure on real estate investment trusts. Unlisted property and infrastructure, they did pretty well. They're usually less affected by movements, short-term movements in listed assets like shares and bonds, um, but obviously they are potentially vulnerable in the year ahead. But in underlying terms, they've benefited more from the, the reasonable economic growth and that helped those two asset classes. Now, of course, in Australia, a big factor was a fall in home prices. Obviously, we saw interest rates, mortgage rates fall to record lows through the pandemic years that pushed house prices to record levels, not just in nominal terms, but also relative to people's incomes. Obviously, low rates, you can afford to borrow more. Problem is that as the Reserve Bank raised interest rates, mortgage rates rose dramatically. In fact, interest rates in Australia rose to levels not seen in 10 years. So a 10-year decline in interest rates was reversed in about six or seven months. So massive turnaround there, and that substantially reduced home buyer capacity and put significant downwards pressure on property prices. So a pretty rough year for home prices in Australia. Mind you, that followed a massive boom in 2021. So these things happen, swings and roundabouts on occasion. Cash and bank deposit returns improved, but were still pretty low because the starting point was down near zero. The Aussie dollar had a rough ride. Typically, as share markets come down, the Aussie dollar tends to come down as well. And that, of course, is what happened. And it partly reflected the aggressive Fed rate hikes. Now, of course, the Aussie dollar, like share markets, managed to make a bit of a low into October and then staged a partial recovery towards the end of the year. Now, balanced growth superannuation funds, given all of that, had negative returns. Although you could argue maybe they weren't quite as bad as you would have expected, given the huge shock on the inflation front. Now, of course, balanced funds having negative returns, um, that was partly offset. You've got to bear in mind, they had very strong returns back in 2021. So again, there's swings and roundabouts there, but no one likes to see their wealth go backwards. And unfortunately, that was an outcome of what happened in 2022, as we had those rough, those rough returns out of bonds and shares. So what about 2023? I guess... First, the bad news. Inflation is still way too high at around 7 to 11% in many advanced countries. Tight labour markets risk wage price spirals. Central banks are still warning of more rate hikes to come. The risk of recession is high. The US has returned to divided government with the risk of debt ceiling and funding standoffs, as we saw back in 2011 and 2013. The war continues in Ukraine and tensions remain high with China and Iran. Even COVID continues to disrupt, but as I mentioned before, mainly in relation to China as cases surge as it re opens. These all suggest another volatile year and possibly continuation of the bear market in global shares. And for many, that is pretty much the consensus. However, there is reason for optimism. First, inflationary pressures may have peaked, 
and are slowing rapidly. And we put, we pointed this out a few times in relation to our pipeline inflation indicator, which has been falling very, very, very rapidly. Supply chain pressures have eased, demand is cooling, labour markets are showing signs of topping out. In fact, it may only require a slight pullback in demand to push capacity utilisation levels back down to normal and likewise push the unemployment rate above the so-called Nehru, which I won't get into in this uh, podcast. If you want to, I can probably do it in another podcast um, to further depress deflationary pressures going forward. This suggests that inflation could fall faster than central banks expect in 2023. Secondly, central banks, I think, are actually nearing the peak in rates. The Fed is already moving to slow hikes, but conditions are likely to be soft enough to allow it to pause from around March or so in 2023, ahead of rate cuts later in 2023. Now, of course, sure, the Fed is signaling more of its so-called dot plot and all those sorts of things. But bear in mind, a year ago, it was actually way too dovish and it turned out to be wide of the mark. And I suspect that it's going to end up being too hawkish in its signaling this time around. Likewise, in Australia, we see the Reserve Bank as being at or close to the top. 3.1% is our base case for the peak in the cash rate, uh, with 3.35% being a higher risk case. But I reckon by the time we get to February, March, conditions are likely to be weak enough to allow a pause ahead of rate cuts in Australia, either starting in late 2023 or, if not, than early in 2024. Thirdly, it seems everyone is talking about recession. The risk is very high, I must admit, and this will likely keep markets volatile given the threat to earnings. But maybe it won't turn out to be quite as bad as feared. In the US, it may just be a sharp slowdown or a mild recession in the year ahead if the Fed starts to ease up on the break soon and given the absence of other excesses beyond the excessive inflation rate that needs to be unwound. For example, there's been no overinvestment in housing or capex going into this downturn and leverage is low. Europe has moved away from Russian gas very quickly and providing its winter is mild may continue to hold up better than feared. Or alternatively, lags could mean that any recession doesn't hit till 2024 and right now it's probably too early to start discounting that. Finally, you could argue that sure, China is going to have some setbacks, much like we did a year ago when we started to reopen and we got hit by that Omicron wave in January and then another one in the middle of the year. These things will happen in China too and cause a lot of uncertainty and angst. By the same token, the Aussie economy, much like the global economy, has moved through that, and I suspect the same will happen in China. And in fact, China is due a rebound in its growth, and I think that will happen as we go through 2023. If China rebounds after disappointing in 2022, then that will provide an offset to weak growth in the US and Europe. Finally, Australia, I think, is likely to avoid recession, reflecting the less aggressive Starts with the Reserve Bank of Australia, the pipeline of home building work yet to be completed and the strong business investment outlook. Finally, you could argue that maybe geopolitics won't be as bad in 2023. There's no major elections in key countries in the year ahead. The war in Ukraine may not get any more threatening for investment markets and the Cold War with China may see a bit of a thaw following recent talks between, for example... President Biden and Xi Jinping, and likewise Australia's own Prime Minister and Xi Jinping. Fingers crossed on that one. Overall global growth in 2023 is likely to be around 2.5%. That's well down from 6% back in 2021, but certainly not a recession in aggregate. Likewise, in Australia, growth is expected to slow to 1.5% in the year ahead. Not good, um, but again, should avoid a recession. And as I mentioned, inflation is likely to fall. So what is all this going to mean for investors? I reckon the environment of easing inflationary pressures, central banks moving to get off the brakes, economic growth proving stronger than feared, and improved valuation should make for better returns ultimately in 2023. But there are likely to be bumps along the way. 
particularly regarding recession risks. And this could involve a retest of the 2022 lows or new lows early in the year in share markets before the upswing resumes. So a bit of uncertainty about the timing of that, but I think ultimately the environment will prove to be okay for investment markets and we should see better returns. Global shares, I reckon, are probably going to return something around 7%, maybe a little bit less in Australian dollar terms as the Aussie dollar is likely to rise. And I reckon that non-US shares will probably remain outperformers um, because the valuations are far more attractive outside the US than in the US. Aussie shares, I think, will also outperform again, particularly if Chinese growth picks up supporting commodity prices. And also we've got pretty good dividend yields in Australia. The gross stock dividend yield is still around 5.5%. Bonds probably far better than they have been in the last year. I think you'll probably get returns out of government bonds at least of around running yield in the year ahead. Um, maybe a little bit more as inflation slows and central banks become somewhat less hawkish. Unlisted commercial property and infrastructure though might be a little bit slower. We've seen this in previous years where share markets and sometimes bonds get hit uh, initially. Unlisted assets hold up reasonably well, but they get hit the year after. And I suspect that may result in slower returns out of those two asset classes in the year ahead. Home prices, I reckon, have more downside in the short term. We talked about this in the last Oliver's Insights podcast, but I reckon there is more downside there to come, um, consistent with a top to bottom fall in total of around 15 to 20%. But I do think prices will start to bottom out around the September quarter ahead of gains later in the year as the Reserve Bank moves towards rate cuts. Cash and bank deposits returns probably going to be around 3% reflecting that back up in interest rates and finally the Aussie dollar I reckon will have a reasonably solid year as uh, the US dollar heads down and the commodity price outlook remains reasonably solid uh, helped probably by stronger growth in China. So what to watch in the year ahead? What are the main uncertainties around? Obviously inflation that's a big one to keep an eye on it needs to keep it needs to go down if it continues to rise, that's going to be a problem. US politics that could cause a few disruptions along the way, matches we saw in 2011 and 2013 with a divided government. Obviously, those issues around China and Ukraine continue and Australian home prices. Yes, I think they will fall further, but I don't see a crash. Obviously, if things turn out a lot weaker, possibly because of that fixed rate reset that will occur through the course of the year, um, then that could cause more financial instability in Australia. So anyway, I want to wrap that up. I hope that's been of some value. I hope the Oliver's Insights podcast series has been of value through the last year. All the best for the festive season and all the best for 2023. Until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform. That way you'll never miss an episode.